0: I wish I knew this earlier. I wish I knew this earlier because it would have helped out a lot and it would have helped me set in stone some very good habits at an early age that would have been great to have right now. Hey folks, today we're going to talk about essentially behavior analysis. We're going to talk about the role of dopamine and we're going to talk about avoidance as it pertains to anxiety, other feelings, and thoughts. And these are things that very likely you've been doing and maybe you're aware of why it's a problem. And maybe this is brand new to you. Maybe you've never heard someone tell you this, so buckle up. I want you to imagine this scenario and put yourself in this situation. You've got a big test coming up. Your test is due in five days. You go home, you're like, all right, I'm gonna start studying. You open up your laptop or your old school textbook and you start looking at all the chapters that are going to be on the test. And as you're looking at this, your first thought is, holy smokes, there's a lot to study. I don't know if I have enough time. Now, if we are in a situation where we believe our resources are not adequate to deal with the situation, we experience the negative kind of stress known as distress. Okay? When this happens, it's very similar to anxiety in that a heart rate speeds up. We can start getting to that early stage of the fight or flight mode, we generally start to not feel very good. And the physiological symptoms are very nervous, fidgety. People will start to bite their nails. People will start to do these little things that are a manifestation of how they feel internally. So the thought of this is too much, this is a lot, I don't know if I can study this, leads to feelings of sadness, nervousness, anxiousness. And then what do you do? Well, here's a couple of things I just mentioned earlier. You can start biting your nails. You can start fidgeting with your fingers. You can start looking up at the sky. You can go on your phone and scroll endlessly. Maybe you've got a vape that you smoke. Maybe you smoke cigarettes. Maybe you start eating chocolates. And whatever activity that you've just engaged in has taken away the negative feelings and thoughts. How? If I'm consciously thinking, this is a lot, I'm gonna study this chapter this day, this chapter that day, it's gonna take me a lot of time, I don't know if I can do it, those feelings are distressing. So when I start doing something else, when I can take my thought away from it, if I can just focus on my fingers and just focus on my nails, or just start daydreaming about what happened yesterday, or go on my phone and start scrolling, I can forget about my earlier thoughts of distress. When I forget about my thoughts, my feelings won't be as intense well my feelings aren't as intense i won't have those physiological symptoms manifested so in other words i don't feel very good i engage in a behavior and the consequences i feel better what just happened if this sounds similar to you and this sounds similar to many people even myself What we've just engaged in is avoidance. Behavioral analysis would say we have an antecedent, we have a behavior, and then we have the consequence, ABC. Now, cognitive behavioral analysis is very similar in that it really focuses on thoughts and feelings in that equation as well. So what you've just taught yourself is in moments of distress, if I feel distressed, then I will go on my phone. And the outcome of that is those negative feelings go away. And because those negative feelings go away, I have just reinforced the behavior of going on my phone. If whenever you get nervous, you have to smoke a cigarette. You're going out on a first date. You're feeling pretty nervous. So you smoke a cigarette, it calms you down, and then you sit down at the date. You feel a lot more relaxed. What did you just do? Your brain just went, oh, when I feel nervous, I just have to smoke a cigarette and then I'm calm. Like, that's the solution. My friends, we're talking about two things here. As I'm saying this, I want you to think about avoidance and I want you to think about dependability. And let's throw a third one in there. Uh, what, what did the, the gentleman call it? A three-piece in a soda. So we've got avoidance, we've got dependability, and we've got tolerance. And this, my friends, can become a dangerous cycle which perpetuates. Why? What I'm teaching myself, especially if I get into things like... And look, when I say this, I don't want to shame people who smoke. I don't want to shame people who screw on their phone. It happens. Whatever it might be, it might be chocolates for you. It might be a particular snack that you love. It could be pornography, whatever it is. But there's something that you engage in that takes the negative thoughts away, right? And what we... What we're telling our brain is, hey, this is what we're going to do. Whenever I feel stressed, I'm going to rely on this. Whenever I feel angry, I'm going to rely on this. And our internal feelings of distress and sadness and anxiety, what we're teaching ourselves is, I'm going to rely on something externally. So if I'm doing homework and I feel stressed, I'll just scroll on TikTok for 20 minutes and it'll make those feelings go away. Problem solved, right? What's so wrong with that, Dan? What's the problem? It's working. It's making me feel better. What if I told you I knew somebody who had suicidal ideation. He had thoughts about taking his life. And then one day I meet him and he goes, Dan, I'm doing a lot better. And I go, great, well, what, what's changed? Well, I drink a lot of alcohol now. And when I drink alcohol, I don't have those feelings anymore. I don't have those thoughts anymore. What do you do? Do you tell him to stop drinking? Do the thoughts come back? Do you applaud them and tell them to continue drinking? So I know I'm I'm exaggerating here and it's not the same thing. Going on your phone for 20 minutes is not the same thing as, as drinking, obviously, obviously. But what we recognize is instead of, instead of learning how to tolerate a feeling, how to manage a feeling, how to cope with our anxiety, we rely on external stimuli. Look, if you feel anxious about something, you got into a car accident way back when, or a friend of yours did, and you're really terrified of getting in a car and driving. If you feel anxious, there's two ways to go about it. One, a method is called systemic desensitization, if I'm not mistaken, which is we slowly, gradually expose you to the thing that you're afraid of. So we start thinking about driving. We start looking videos of driving. You walk up to a car and touch it. You walk into a car and you sit down, even though the car is off in the passenger seat. Then you do the same thing in the driver's seat. Then you just turn the car on. That's all you do. So you start working your way up, right? And one of the basics of this at the very, very beginning is you think about the thing that makes you anxious. You imagine it. And then when you feel anxious... This is gonna blow everybody's mind, ready? You're going to do nothing. You're gonna do absolutely nothing. Because what we've been so programmed to do is, oh, the moment I feel uncomfortable thinking about work, I'm gonna smoke, or I'm gonna eat this chocolate, or I'm going to pick up my skin, or I'm going to do something so so I stop thinking about it. And we lean on external things to help us with how we're feeling internally, right? So there's two ways to go about it. One is you feel anxious. Imagine the thing that makes you anxious. Now sit there and do nothing. Do do not distract yourself. Don't start thinking about tomorrow. Don't start thinking about exciting things. Think about the thing that makes you anxious. Again, not 24-7 because that's ruminating. We want to be careful for a small period of time. Now compare that to you come to me. You say, Daniel, I feel anxious. I write you a prescription to a couple of anxiety pills, a couple of benzodiazepines, and your anxiety lowers. And you go, Daniel, this is amazing. I feel great. I don't have anxiety more because of this medication. Awesome. This is amazing. Which one do you think is easier? Slowly exposing you over time to the thing that makes you anxious and in the very beginning just sitting there and doing nothing or just giving you some pills? Well, obviously, Daniel, pills are a lot easier. Pills are super easy. I get to take them. Boom. I'm good. I feel good. You do. We want to recognize that the dependence you build on them this means that if you ever feel anxious you better have those pills on them you better have those pills on you whether you go to a wedding whether you're doing a presentation you got to take those pills all the time and you're not learning how to tolerate with your anxiety you're not learning how to manage your anxiety not only that now after a while you start building a tolerance to the benzos to the anxiety medication which means You might have to up the dosage. And I've heard some horror stories, folks, about how addicting that medication can be. Why? I don't know how to deal with my anxiety. So I take this medication. Okay? I end up taking this medication for three years, let's say. What happens if I don't have it on me? What happens if it runs out? What happens if the dosage that I have to take is so high that it becomes dangerous? And the side effects become dangerous. If you're interested in this, folks, YouTube it. There's, I'm sure there's plenty of videos out there. What is the most common form of anxiety medication? What is a benzo? Just Google that, see what comes up. What is a Xanax? Years ago, when I was in high school, I had a sort of inkling about this idea. And we, being young men, as young men do, we were talking about alcohol and. The benefits of alcohol because it relaxes you a little bit and it makes it easier to talk to people, especially people who you're attracted to. And I remember talking to a friend of mine, and my friend said, I can't talk to someone I'm attracted to unless I'm drinking. And as a joke, I said, Well, what if we're out on a hike, nine in the morning, and you see someone you're attracted to? Are you gonna run to the nearest liquor store and <laughs> start drinking alcohol at nine in the morning? Right? So so there's learning how to manage anxiety so you can talk to people. Versus, well, if I'm drinking, then the anxiety is gone. So both ways work to, to deal with anxiety. One of them is internally dealt with and one of them is externally. One of them focuses on independence. One of them focuses on dependence. So if every time you're dealing with something distressing or something sad and you have a thought that goes to literally anything, Why am I not as fit as i like to be? Why did I not get the job application? Why did Sally say this at the party? And then I go on TikTok to scroll or I go on Instagram to scroll. All it's doing is, it's consciously taking me away from the moment. Like I forget what's going on. It's almost numbing. And I just go full fledged into Instagram. But guess what happens? 20, 30 minutes later, when I'm done, maybe I forgot about the thought. Then I go about my day, I'm eating breakfast, and then boom, the thought comes back again. And what I've taught myself is that I have to have my phone nearby. During the pandemic, we saw, an increase at least in Canada, we saw an increase of reported depressive and anxiety symptoms, as well as an increase in alcohol consumption and social media use. Think about that, folks. Now... This is a correlation. It doesn't mean one necessarily caused the other. But think about the relationship, the possible relationship between these four factors. Depressive symptoms, anxiety symptoms, alcohol consumption, and social media. In those classic movies, when somebody gets dumped, somebody breaks up with someone. And they go, oh my God, let's go to the bar, John. Let's cheer you up. You're upset? Let's go to the bar. Hey, let's go to the club. Let's do like a little shoulder shimmy and forget about it. Right? Isn't that always the funny thing? Huh? Guy gets cheated on or girl gets cheated on. They're like, I know the way to make you better. We're going to take you dancing. And we're going to dance off the blues. So this poor person <laughs> who's just gotten their heart broken is in the club. Because they're like, well, they're my friends. They're trying to make me feel better. And what happens is you start drinking a lot of alcohol. And it does make you feel better. Or, or let me be very careful how I say this. It doesn't make you feel better. It takes the negative feelings away. And it's not the same thing. In my opinion, it's not the same thing. Not being miserable is not the same thing as being happy. In my opinion. But you can think differently about that. So you go to the club. You start drinking a lot. And those negative feelings go away. You don't feel terrible anymore. And you're thinking, this is great. This is a lot of fun. Oh my God, I haven't felt like this in a long time. Finally, I'm over my breakup. Guess what happens? The morning after, you wake up. And on top of those negative feelings that come back, now you're hungover, now you've got a headache, you don't feel too great. And what you've just taught yourself is, oh, alcohol can make the negative feelings go away. This is a way to treat my negative feelings. Wrong. This is a way to avoid your negative feelings. Folks, there's nothing wrong with partying. There's nothing wrong with having a good time. But when we skip over that that step of acceptance and sitting there and just tolerating, if you're interested in this, look up Gestalt. Gestalt therapy, it's a theoretical model, and one of its pillars is focusing on the now. So focusing on the here and now. So a Gestalt therapist will constantly, and other people do this too, but especially the people in that field, are known with asking questions such as this, you know. Tell me about your recent breakup. And as you're talking about it, you're saying, "Well, it was really hard. I thought we were gonna have a future together. I guess I kind of planned this out in my head. Then I found that he cheated. Now I feel terrible. I feel nauseous. I don't even want to look at a guy anymore." And then the therapist would say, "How do you feel right now? Not how did you feel then? How did you feel last night? Right now, as you're telling me this story, what feeling do you have right now?" And and maybe you kind of sit there and you go, "Why?" Well, I feel sad and I've, I've almost got like this knot in my stomach as I'm talking about it. It's actually like I'm, I'm almost reliving all the, the emotions and the memories. And I feel anger and disgust. And I feel shame at myself for being dumb and not seeing the red flags. So what we're doing here, friends, is when we recognize it as a sad feeling, we don't run away. Right? Or, or <laughs> actually it's the opposite. We do. Right? We go the complete opposite way. I don't want to feel this. Yikes. Don't think about it. Hey, you're upset? Let's go off ice cream. Remember I made a video way back when? About a girl that called into the radio show. And the radio host was like, How are you feeling? And she was like, I'm nervous. And she said, don't be. Hey, my f- family member just passed away. Let's go to the gym. I-, I told you a loved one passed away. and You want me to do bicep curls? Really? And God bless your friends and family, man. They don't know any better, right? Most people don't. And I don't. I just, as soon as I learn something interesting in the lecture, I come out and share it with you. So that you can learn to, to better respond to other people. But most importantly, first and foremost, to better respond to yourself. And the last thing I want to say about this topic is there's a very fine line between sitting there, accepting our emotions... And not dwelling on it for 24 hours. Because I'm not saying sit there. Like if something bad happens to you, sit there in a dark room for five hours thinking about it over and over again. Folks, I don't think that's a healthy way to go about it. There has to be an in-between. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a counselor. But as a friend, if we were sitting here talking and your name was Ashley. I'd say, look, Ashley. I don't know, you just went through something really, really hard. I don't know if you wanna go out to like a party where people are gonna laugh and talk and meet new people. I don't know if if that's the place you're at right now mentally to like go and have fun. I also don't know if you're gonna sit in a room by yourself for five hours just thinking about it. So people are different. Some people might immediately wanna go out. Some people might wanna be by themselves for quite some time. In my perspective, it's important to have both. There should be some time where we learn to just sit with our feelings. I feel angry at work. Okay, well, just, just sit there for a second. Don't be so quick to, well, let me watch a movie to get my mind off but of it. Let me watch a blah, blah, blah. Because the problem with that is a week could pass by and then you're still angry about it. Like That's my problem, right? It's not that I want you to think about that thing 24-7. It's actually the opposite. I want you to get over it, but I recognize that if someone at school, a prof, a roommate does something that gets under your nerves, if I just say, well, watch a movie to get your mind off of it, you're still angry. We're just repressing that feeling so that three, four weeks down the line, that might still piss you off rather than saying, well, look, we'll sit there and just dissect that for a second. Like, hmm, I feel frustrated right now. How do I know I feel frustrated? Why? I feel angry. I have these thoughts of being betrayed and, and cheated on. And like physiologically, my, my hands feel tight. My neck feels stiff. I don't have an appetite at all. I don't want to eat. I don't want to see my friends. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely stressed. I'm angry. I'm tense. Why? This person did this. Mm. And a belief of mine is that if you're a friend, this is what I can expect of you. And you did that. Therefore, you are not a friend. So either I have to change my belief or maybe I have to cut ties with this person. And you sit there and you think, what am I feeling? Why am I feeling this way? And this is going to be really hard. This is going to be one of the most hardest things, at least I've ever done in my life, is, folks, sometimes there isn't a logical solution. Like sometimes you can sit there and think, okay, I'm going to logically figure everything out in two minutes. You're not going to come to an answer. And it's going to be even more frustrating because it's just going to be rabbit hole after rabbit hole. Sometimes things won't make sense. And sometimes you'll feel certain ways. You don't even know why you feel this way. You're like, it's been a month. Why do I still feel like this? I don't want to feel like this anymore. And it's important that our first barrier, the first thing that we do is acceptance. And we go, look, it's not about I want to feel like this or I don't want to feel like this. It's not about I enjoy smoking every day or I enjoy eating chocolates every day. This is what it is. This is who I am. There was this gentleman. Oh, I don't want to misquote him. I forgot who he was, but but if you Google this, I mean, not who he was, his name. If you Google this quote, it'll come up. And he said, I'm paraphrasing. He said, the paradox of change is interesting because only when you accept yourself fully for who you are, then you can change. So it's not like you can just change. Like in the very beginning, you have to accept, okay, this is how I feel right now. And having the knowledge of, oh, Daniel said, because I feel sad, I'm going to reach for my phone to distract myself, or I'm going to eat some chocolates, or I'm going to play video games for six hours nonstop to distract myself from these negative feelings. And at least you're aware of what's happening. You're like, hmm, rather than sitting there and processing this, I would rather do something else. Going back to that anxiety Example, right? Rather than sitting there just with the anxiety, I'd rather just take the pills. But the problem becomes what? I would hypothesize that this topic that we are addressing is a factor in pornography addiction, in internet addiction, video game addiction. Kids are addicted to social media nowadays. Why? Why? Because we love seeing pictures? You think it's a coincidence that there's a spike in depressive and anxiety symptoms in adolescence after puberty you think it's a coincidence that girls anxiety is doubled if not tripled when looking at anxiety and depressive symptoms between the ages of 14 and 18 when you compare girls to guys and they're more likely to ruminate you could make a case i'm not saying this but you could make a case that if I'm a young girl who's 15, and my anxiety is through the roof, and genetically, and I'm gonna be higher in neuroticism on average, my tendency to have negative emotions is higher than a boy. And I'm going to ruminate, and I'm going to think about it non-stop. Not in the way that I said earlier, where it's like you sit there, you accept it, and like, look, I, I recognize mine is a little bit idealistic, like it's a lot harder than I'm making it out to be, but ruminating, like you're sitting there just for hours upon hours, and it's all you can think about. And you know how in the beginning of the video I said, we're so quick to distract ourselves? Well, the opposite, folks, isn't good either, right? I said that too, where we're, we're so stuck in that mode that then we can't go to the gym. We can't go out with our friends. We can't even watch a movie because we're, that's all we can think about. And it's too extreme on this end, which isn't any better than being too extreme on that end. So you're a 15-year-old girl who experiences a lot of anxiety. You begin ruminating about it. You and your best friend start to co-ruminate, meaning you both sit there and you say, you think your day sucked, my day sucked. And they say, you think, blah, blah, blah. Well, last week, this terrible thing happened to me. And how do you feel afterwards? Not good. So thank God we have our phones to make the negative thoughts go away. And then we say, why are kids so addicted to social media? hmm questions questions the world is complicated my friends there's a lot of things to learn there's a lot of new theories that are shared with the world there's a lot of theories that are debunked in that i have contrary evidence it is our role to become aware of these theories to become aware of these ideas if you're interested by what i've talked about today look up bf skinner Look up things like reinforcement and reinforcing behaviors, which is essentially what we do. When I feel terrible and I go on my phone and then those feelings go away, I'm reinforcing going on my phone because I'm like, oh, it works. It's a good thing to do. So BF Skinner, reinforcement, ABCs in behavioral analysis. If those things are interesting for you, you should definitely look them up on YouTube. There is so much knowledge out there. It is at your fingertips for free. And you can press on videos about people who are experts in their fields who would be happy to share that with you. Thank you very much for listening, everybody. Take care of yourselves and stay safe. Bye-bye.